and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation as usual as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. We're going to have a fantastic conversation today because we're going to be talking with Donna DeVillers from Scotland, and we're going to learn how she is helping daughters and granddaughters live better and prevent dementia. And I can't wait for this conversation. But for those of you that are new, um, I'm Lori LeBay with Alzheimer's Speaks frustrated daughter trying to make a change. So please visit alzheimerspeaks.com. We have a ton, a ton of free resources that you can listen to. We've got tools. We have programs that people with dementia can participate in because they are welcome on Alzheimer Speaks Radio, our dementia chats, as well as dementia arts. But there's just lots of things you'll find there, including Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory. And our book, Betty the Bald Chicken. And of course, we do speaking and training as well. So lots of information there, but let's talk to Donna. Well, Donna, I have been so excited to have you on this show. You were on Conscious Caregiving with L&L with Lance and I not too long ago, and we've chatted um, offline. And you are just such a bubble of fresh air and just full of, of great information. So thanks for taking the time to to come on Alzheimer's Speaks and chat with our audience here. Oh, no worries. Thank you so much for having me. It's always an absolute delight to come and hang out with you. Well, cool. I'm going to have you introduce yourself if you don't mind, because you know yourself better than I do. (laughs) Of course, no worries. So my name is Donna de Villiers, and I'm a dementia prevention consultant. And I live in Scotland, and I help women globally reduce the risk of dementia that's what my whole business is it's all about a holistic naturopathic route and we lower your risk of dementia over the course of 12 weeks if you work with me and just put strategies in place to give you a sexy brain for your future wonderful thank you well i know that's gonna keep people interested for sure why don't you tell us if you have been personally touched by dementia yourself so i think dementia Growing up was something that I never encountered before. Where I'm from, it wasn't something that we came across particularly often. And when I moved to the UK, because I'm not originally from the UK, I worked in health and social care. And it was quite a shock for me. Like I didn't realize dementia was quite as prevalent this side of the world. And further down the line, I worked with a lot of people with dementia. It scared the bejesus out of me. I had never encountered it. And for me personally, like my mom's memory is not the sexiest. Whether it's dementia or cognitive decline, we're not sure, but it's absolutely down to sleep deprivation. My mom is a night shift person. She loves the night shift. And just seeing the progression of her being on night shift since they moved here to Scotland, there's been a real steady decline in memory. And it's quite something to witness. And it's quite difficult 
because my mom is also not somebody that wants to do anything with it just yet. So it is quite a process and a journey. And, you know, with all of the the love and goodwill and knowledge in the world, when it comes to dealing with your family on a personal level, it's uh, it's quite a different journey to being in a professional standing where there's a little bit more space. There's a huge difference. And I think it shocks every professional when it hits them. Yeah. I, I remember speaking at a conference one time, uh, this is kind of a funny story and sad at the same time, but impactful. And there was, you know, a round table kind of front row. And there was a gentleman in his 40s that just started sobbing hysterically, could not stop. And I, you know, it was one of those, like, do I keep going? Do I stop? You know, what do I do? And I, I decided, no, I'm going to keep going. His friends were taking care of him. And after uh, I got done speaking, you know, I went down and I said, are you doing okay? And he said, I couldn't even get up to leave the table. He said, everything you were saying made so much sense. And he says, I have been um, an executive director in a community for like 20 years. And it made me realize everything I was telling families was wrong. And I really felt in my heart it was right. And he said, I feel horrible and thankful, you know, at the same time. But I mean, literally somebody ran out of the bathroom with a roll of toilet paper for this guy. He was just crushed um and and yet thankful to hear that conversation and it's it and he said for his family he you know he was really struggling because he was a professional he 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 felt he knew what to do and and yet he didn't you know because we all go on what we've been told over the years and then you then it hits you and it's like well no that doesn't really make sense to do yeah that's like aggravating them even more or whatever it might be. And, you know, just how do you have those conversations? How do you get somebody comfortable? And it really starts way before symptoms. It, it has to do with our family structures and our societal kind of boundaries that we've put up in terms of what's, what's a good conversation and a bad conversation to me that, yeah. You know, and really understanding that dynamic, I think like understanding family dynamics is just so crucial. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's nine times out of 10 as a professional standing there, like I can give beautiful generic advice and be like, we all know this. We all know that we need to eat well. It doesn't mean that you have the time and the space or the thought process to actually cook a wholesome meal. So I think that there's also so many disconnects sometimes on a professional level and it's done with absolute love and kindness. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sometimes it really, it, it can be quite triggering. Yeah, you you have to really know the people and know know their culture, know their philosophy, know their routines. And those are very intimate things to share and to be able to ask. And I think so often we're just like, oh, I can I'll fix it. Here's a list. You know, this doesn't cut it, you know, for so many of us. Um, Before I dive into what you do, um, can you tell us a little bit about Scotland as a whole and how you see it maybe different from from other countries? Uh, You know, I was just talking with somebody in Canada and they shared with me that the average time to get a neurologist appointment is six years. And my I mean, I'm still picking my jaw up off the ground on that one because I thought six to nine months here in the U.S. was a long time. So everyone does this differently and 
you know, yeah. our pay structures, I mean, our service structures, they're all different. So what's the model with, with Scotland? I know you guys are really in the forefront of so many things and really haven't gotten the credit that you deserve on a lot of levels. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Scotland really is quite amazing. Like I lived in England before and I'm now living in Scotland. And even the difference between England and Scotland is quite vast. And the way that Scotland works is that the government here promises that for every person diagnosed with dementia, you get what we call PDS support straight after your diagnosis, which is post-diagnostic support. You get a link worker, which was somebody like me and for one year, you work with that person and the family and you come together and you put together strategies, you figure out how you're going to cope with things. Your link worker will help to refer you to different services. Like We're quite lucky here that we have quite a lot of the social community services. Like We have the National Health Service, which will do all of like your medical side of things. It takes a while. Like I will put hands up like the National Service is not it's not perfect. We do still have cracking waiting times. I think in Edinburgh at the moment, we're sitting at 13 months to get a diagnosis. So it's not quick. But within that 13 months, there's services that you can go to that can actually guide you through what's the process going to be like? What kind of supports do you need for your family in that moment? And there's quite a lot of reach to go to, you know, dementia cafes or um, we have a really great thing here in Edinburgh called Movement for Memories which just tackles movement classes and balance because balance is so fundamental for your brain and it does amazing things for people in the early stages of dementia. So they've got these cracking services that actually already exist and it's just a matter of reaching out and finding all of them and putting them in place. So Scotland really has a great model. It's not perfect. There are wait times. There's a bit of a postcode lottery situation where it depends where you live. Sometimes you get it much quicker. And it also depends very much on how you get your diagnosis, because there's a couple of different ways that that can happen here. And sometimes things get missed there. Like if you don't have a GP who is particularly proactive and refers you to the right services, that can sometimes be a stopping point. I've come across a couple of families where they're sort of three years down the line and they never got PDS. And it's something that does happen. Like the cracks are smaller and smaller with each year but there are things that are missing. And it's the same now with pre-diagnostics where people are sitting on the waiting list because COVID definitely ramped up quite a lot of the people living with early stages of dementia that were missed because they were on their own and the isolation compounded things a little bit. So they might have gone through a slightly different process. There were backlogs. So there are a couple of gaps that are being worked on, but you have amazing services like Alzheimer's Scotland or Age UK and so many different services that you can reach out to for support. So we're quite lucky. We do have a lot here. Well, that's fantastic. Why don't you tell us about your company and why you started it? So I'm the CEO of Vivira Brain Health and Vivira Brain Health is all about prevention because one thing that I've realized in the dementia world is that, you know, we're pouring so much resource and, you know, we're throwing money at this because it is a global healthcare crisis. Every country is being affected by it. It's not just Scotland. It's not just the U.S., not just Canada. But on the preventative side, you know, if we're actually going to tackle a crisis, dementia is partially lifestyle. 
And there's a 40 to 60% chance that you can actually reduce your likelihood of going anywhere near it if we change lifestyle and if we look at how we're living long before. Like we need the interventions. We absolutely need to have the medical realm because there's so many people on that path already. But we also need the other side of it. We need more people to sort of wake up to the environmental factors, to the societal factors. We need to change the way we're living so that we can actually prevent this and eradicate it. So that's what my company does. I help women in particular because two-thirds of dementia cases are women. And the reason for that is hormones. I'm, af I'm afraid we got thrown a bit of a curveball with hormones. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, going through the amount of changes that our bodies go through from reproductive years to perimenopause to through menopause, postmenopause. And, you know, menopause isn't, you know, you don't you don't go through menopause and you're guaranteed dementia. That's not how it works. But because you go through so many changes and fluctuations in your body, it definitely does ramp things up and it lowers our protective factors in our brain. So we really want to start looking at how to actually manage hormones. And I think there's just this beautiful growth of people actually talking about what is perimenopause like? What's menopause like? What to expect? What can we do differently? And there's some great things that are now actually showing up that people are talking about. So that's one factor of the protective side. It's a lot of brain testing, a lot of hormones and a lot of lifestyle changes that you can really do to actually really reduce your risk. And I've been a guinea pig for myself there. And I've been testing my brain health. And I started out, I was at 37% risk when I started out, which for me was astronomically high. Mm -hmm. But I am, I, I, I have such a sweet tooth and sugar is a huge problem. So that was definitely where my, my journey started. And I'm not perfect. I still eat chocolate. I still have sugar cravings. I still go down that road. But in four months, I lowered it to 27%. Wow. Fantastic. You know, we, we hear people talk to us about, you know, do this, don't do that. But I think we don't hear the details behind the whys or even when they're given to us, they're not emotionally tied to us. So it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and people just kind of move on because it hasn't it hasn't hit to me. It hasn't hit them at a heart level that yeah. really matters. It says, wake up you know, this could really, this could really happen to you too. This could affect you and you have control over this, but everyone is so busy, including myself. I don't do a good job at this being busy that I, oh, I don't I don't have the time. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, and I know this for myself, I didn't invest in my health up until a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think in my twenties, I was an absolute junk food junkie. I smoked, I drank, I did all of the wrong things, I ate all the junk food, all the fast food. And it just wasn't something that I grew up with that much in terms of junk food. But when I hit the UK, I thought, I'm all in, like, let's give all of this a go. And it's only years later, where you kind of look at it and you think, oh, why did you do that? And then even now to invest in my health, like I recognize that there is a real deep desire but it's taken something to like that. And it's not a small thing. Like we all know we shouldn't eat too much sugar, but you're spot on. Like, why shouldn't you eat so much sugar? What is it actually doing to your body? Why do you get that kick? Why do you have that craving? Why do you keep having that craving? Where's the addictive factor? So I think once people start to understand why these things are important and, you know, why your hormones are important and living in a cyclical fashion, 
that's when you can really start to make shifts and changes and it's doing it in a in a gentle way like we all we all have things we could improve on but if I gave you a list of 20 things and said like Lori you need these 20 things off you go it's overwhelming and it's horrible yeah whereas if you sit down with somebody and be like take me through your day how do you live let's make one change one sustainable change and work on that and then let's build on it it's like building a wall you know you can't just go and build a castle in one day it's just going to collapse you've got to go row by row hi everyone if you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault listen up we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. And when you when you ask that question of, you know, routine, you're I mean, you're really getting to know the person. That used to be one of my biggest frustrations. Anything dementia-wise was... I would talk with someone who, you know, supposedly be a support and it was 10 minutes max, you know, maybe, maybe once in a while I'd get a half an hour, but a lot of times it was being talked at and not talked with. And for me, that makes a difference on how I'm going to respond to what I'm being told. If I feel like they really hear me and, and it's just like, I don't want to be on a conveyor belt that you're going here's your list, you know, just take it and run, you know, you'll be fine and, and fix me. And cause it's not, you can't fix everything and you can't fix everything in a day and no. other things are going to pop up and, and all of those types of things. So, you know, I like that you're asking people about their life. I think that is such a critically uh, important step in, in really getting to understand them and acknowledge who they are and how they live. And, and, and then, you know, and some people I'm sure you get go, I just don't want to do this. I'm just, yeah. I'm just not gonna. Absolutely had clients that have turned around and said, I'm definitely not doing that. And be like, okay, then yeah. that's not what we're going to do then. We'll find something else. Yeah. And, and because you just, you don't know until you have those conversations, you don't know what's going to be, that tick point to push someone to go or push them back or out the door all together. It has to be individual mm-hmm. because what I need in my life and what you need in your life are two very different things. But that is such a huge part of where we need to be heading towards is like individualizing plans, protocols, whatever you want to call them. It's really about understanding that person, that family, how are you going to help them? Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you had you had talked about um, environmental things. Can you give us some examples of environmental changes or suggestions? Well, I think toxic load is something that we ignore quite readily, and I think a lot of the time we don't necessarily consider 
all of the things that we're around that we touch that we put on our skin that are in our homes you know if you're living in a particularly polluted city like pollution they've done quite a lot of studies to see how much pollution actually impacts your level of dementia so that is definitely something to look at but it's like your cleaning products what are you using to clean your house every day what are you putting on your skin you know what skincare do you use what makeup are you using um you know what cleaning products do you use are you using a lot of bleach do you use rubber gloves you know are you touching till receipts because those are endocrine disruptors there's so many different things that we touch that we do every day it's like heating tupperware in a microwave that's one of my big bugbears mm-hmm. we need to move away from that mm-hmm. i know that you know tupperware plastic all of these things we know we know about them but you know plastic can mimic estrogen and too much estrogen in our system is really not good. And then if we can't detox the estrogen, that's where we start to get mutations in cells and bad things can happen. You're, you're looking down at the cancer lines. So it's just being aware of the everyday things that you're doing. You know, do you need a till receipt? Mm-hmm. Is it vital? And if it is, wash your hands or don't touch them. Mm-hmm. Let's get them to put it in a bag and put it wherever you need to put it, but try not to touch them, particularly the ones that... Um, you get a little bit of the ink on your hands as well. Small things like that. If you're going to take your leftovers to work as your packed lunch or something like that, put them in a glass container rather than a plastic one. Next time you're cleaning your house, you know, I have a cupboard full of cleaning products, which are not the sexy ones because I'm I'm not always the most educated person. And it's only when you look at it after and think, oh, we should probably not be using that. Finish them and next time make better choices. And it's just like gradually shifting our lives to make better choices. And it's even down to, you know, the reason why we say organic food for people to eat is just to remove pesticides, herbicides, fungicides. You know, if you can't find organic, if you can't go through those processes, it's also about what are you doing to clean those vegetables? Are they still sitting in plastic in your fruit bowl or in your fridge? Do they need to be in plastic? Can we remove that? So it's looking at small things like that. Those are the environmental factors because your liver does a cracking job of getting rid of the toxicity in your body, but just the amount that it has to deal with on a daily basis, just on the things that we absorb, because our skin is porous. It's going to take a lot of that in and that's going to disrupt our hormones. When we disrupt our hormones, it disrupts the gut, disrupts everything. And once the gut is affected, oh, we got to work on the gut health. And it just sort of compounds the issue. So it's making little changes every day. So that's what we mean by environmental. You know, it's interesting when you talk about gut health, too, because I've heard that talked about since I stepped in in 2009. And it's smushed down, smushed down, smushed down. I mean, people talk about it. No, no, no. And I mean, there was an all and there still is an all out effort to not let this rise above you know, so that the public really, truly understands it. And yet now there are so many studies out on this, or I even think of the the water bottles. Now they're saying, you know, and everyone converted to drinking, you know, out of the water bottles, they get that that was better. And you knew don't have them in the sun because that made it bad, you know, but now it's like, you know, just anything period is not good. And, and my understanding is, overseas is much better about monitoring the preservatives and all the crap that goes into the food 
than we are here in the U.S. And, you know, we have this mentality here of, and it's kind of weird, but but the people just believe that the U.S. makes the best decisions and is on top of so many things. And we aren't, you know, we, we just aren't. I mean, even with dementia, people think, oh, you know, we, we started this dementia-friendly movement. No, no, we did not. No, we did not. You know, there's so many things that we just um, have been sold kind of a bill of goods on. And yeah. now we're hearing more and more about, you know, like, why why isn't our government protecting us from some of these chemicals and the way products are produced and the pollution levels and the this, the that. I mean, it just kind of goes on and on and on when you open yeah. Pandora's box. And, and again, there's some great things that we do, but um, even our food, you know, you mentioned fast food. Well, we don't even just have fast food. We have mammoth fast food. I mean, everything is oversized and huge. And so now we have all these problems with weight and diabetes and all kinds of things, you know, coming from it. And, and people go, well, why? They're finally asking why. Yeah. And it's very evident how much things have changed here in our country. What about societal issues in terms of, do you see things like from a social engagement level? One of the things I liked you talked about, well, if you can't get into the doctor yet, you, you can still get all these resources before we don't have that here, not in a structured, yeah. formal fashion. It's really a, a hit and miss type thing. Um, but what are your thoughts? Does does social interaction impact the, the potential of prevention, do you believe? Absolutely, 100%. And I think that a lot of the time we think of social isolation and loneliness only in older people, mm-hmm. but even teenagers through the there's a massive movement and a drive here from 16 to 24 year olds where there's just a level of really deep loneliness that has a massive impact on mental health on cognitive decline on gut health as well because anything that is going on in the brain it's going to impact the gut as well Mm -hmm. so i think it's across the board but again it requires people to be proactive and this is a challenge we have services here we do have quite a lot but it also requires you to want to access them. And it's kind of like what you were saying earlier with governments. It'd be like, why aren't governments protecting us? Why aren't these things there? And there's this reliance that be like, oh, the service is here. Just just call them. Just just go and make a self-referral. But it's like, if people aren't aware of it, how can they make that phone call? And then when you're feeling isolated, you know, we've all had those moments where loneliness has come in. It's crushing. You, you don't think about reaching out. You don't always think about, be like, oh, what services can I go and find that would help me not feel this way? You know, like the, the mindset of where you are is not quite there. So I think that, again, there's gaps. There are services and they are floating about. But the level of social isolation that people live with is fundamental to your brain health. You need to be with the community, with social beings, and we need people, whether that's people online or people in person, or even just being out and about. You know, I, I bumped into um, a teller when I was paying for my shopping and we got chatting because I can't help it. I talk to everybody. And uh, I spent ages chatting with them and it was so lovely. And what they were saying is that, you know, sometimes they see people that haven't spoken to anybody in a week. 
And that's the first interaction that they've had. And if you think how we build, how we grow, how we develop, how we keep our synapses firing, so much of it is learning and social interaction. And there's so much that happens in the brain when you chat to somebody. So it's really important to do things that actually socially stimulate you. To me, it's like shocking, but yet I know what happens all the time where people don't talk to anyone. And then you get to the point where you don't want to talk to anyone yeah. or you're afraid to, or you don't know how to. Um, I mean, we're seeing that a lot with the kids since COVID and things or not being able to give eye contact because they're, they're worried about that or they watch the news and, you know, that's usually covered with bad stuff happening. And so scary, you know, to be able to, to engage because you don't know what someone's response is going to be because rational has kind of left the building. (laughs) Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, um, I think that's a really important factor. I would love to see social prescriptions here in the U S yes. Belly up to pharma prescriptions um, and even bypass, because I, I just think that it is such a critical piece. And I think, I think a lot of this needs to start before there's an issue. Yes. You need to know somebody cares and that there's resources. And it seems anyways, here in the U S that, People don't look for the resources until they're almost like at the breaking point. Yeah. Oh, no, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Or someone will tell me or the doctor will tell me or, you know, you know, they're just kind of. Just keep on trucking. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm losing it now. Now I need help and I need it right now. And it's like, what do you mean? Nine months or 13 months out. And then they're just really ready to pull out their hair. And that doesn't help anybody with any of this stuff. When do you suggest people reach out to you regarding prevention? Is there, is there an age? I know you deal primarily with women, um, but I, I'm interested in that because uh, personally, I just think we got to start teaching this stuff in school at a very young age. I mean, like the, the ideal would be that if you come to me when you have young children, so that your habits and your behaviors will be mimicked and mirrored by your children. And they should absolutely be teaching this in school. Like it would be, there are some programs here in England that I've come across where they are starting to go into the classrooms and talk about brain health because so many children are seeing their grandparents go through dementia. And that in itself can be quite traumatic. It's not the easiest experience as a child. So I do think that that is starting to shift. But in terms of age limits for me, like my ideal would be if you have young children and you're helping to support your parents, that's sort of like my sandwich generation people. You're the ones that I'm I'm here to help, but I can actually help anybody. If I can get you in your 30s and you're willing and ready, 100%. If you're in your 50s and thinking, oh, I might be a little bit past that, you're not. Also come and have a word because there's a lot that you can still do. Like if you're in your 60s and your 70s, don't you worry a dot. Come and hang out. We'll sort some things out. I don't think there's ever a bad age to start doing this, ever. Earlier is better. Well, I know, you know, like when I grew up, I'm 64. We used to have home ec class and they would teach us how to cook. And they don't, I don't think they do that anymore. But I mean, that would be a perfect time to talk about labels and what's in food and, you know, nutrition yeah. and, and, you know, sleep and all the different factors that come into play. And, you know, I, I think of even just drinking water and staying hydrated and 
um, you know, what you can, what you can expect. And because kids are seeing changes, not only probably in their grandparents and their parents, but in each other, in terms of those social pieces. And I think that that can be really helpful for them at a young age and hopefully make them not feel so disconnected because I think that's where, I think that's where we kind of fell off the tracks is people don't think they need one another. They don't have to be responsible to one another that, you know, my business is my business and it doesn't affect you, but it does, it affects everybody. And we've kind of given a carte blanche to not care, you know, not to, not to step in and, you know, to me, that really needs to shift. I, I just, like I said, I think that social piece is, is yeah. um, that loss of, of compassion. Because, you know, if you don't feel a person's compassionate, you're not going to reach out to them. Yeah, 100%. Unless you're really in dire straits and thinking, I'm, I'm going to, literally, I'm going to die. So I'm going to go in here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you you want someone who's going to treat you gently and respectfully. Absolutely. And I think it's it's starting to move away from that reactive model. Mm-hmm. The medical model is reactive. You you are in a crisis, you have something going on with you, here's a tablet, here's yeah. a protocol. You're done in 10 minutes, I get out of my office. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually if we start looking from a much younger age and being like actually if we look after each other if we build a community, because let's face it, like everybody says like, oh, raising a child, it takes an army or it takes whatever word people like to use. That's for all of us. I still need that army. I'm still raising myself and I'm 38. So, you know, like we we still need this collective of people that helps us. Yeah. And that's at any age. I I totally, totally agree with that. Now you said your programs are twelve weeks. Is that am I yeah. am I remembering correctly? Yeah, yeah, no, no, twelve weeks. <laughs> and so, what what can somebody expect in that twelve week period? Can you kind of step us through? What yeah, so it's an intense twelve weeks. It's not something that is, um, yeah, it's not for the faint hearted, but it is an incredible program. And what it takes you through is we're going to look at your hormones. Testing your hormones is crucial. So I use a really wonderful company that does home testing kits and they use saliva and urine testing, which kind of gives you a a baseline of where all your cortisol and your fluctuations are. We tackle hormones. We then tackle stress because uh, it doesn't matter what you're doing, where you are, which stage of life you're in. Most people are dealing with a catastrophic amount of stress. And I know that everybody talks about it quite loosely, but stress and inflammation are pretty much at the baseline of everything that's going wrong. So handling that and finding strategies that work for you is fundamentally important. I love the word that you use catastrophic because I think everyone has just gotten used to it. Yeah. It's the frog in the pot. It's so not healthy on so many levels and it causes so much dysfunction and so many changes within the body that people don't understand. Yeah, it, it really, it really is a crisis. I think it's something that you know we talk about it way too loosely, mm-hmm. way too loosely. And it is the frog in the pot. Like stress is, you know, if you if you put a, a frog in cold water and then turn the heat on, that that frog will cook. But if you put the frog in the boiling water already, it'll try and jump out. 
And I think that the catastrophic stress is the frog in the pot. You know, like we, we've gone way past the point where we'll jump out the pot. So I do think like that's a huge component. Like exercise is another one. I know nobody likes the word exercise, but movement is crucial. And there's a couple of key parts of movement that you need to really, really, really hold on to to maintain all your body functions, your gut, your brain, and then keeping balance. Like if you can do balance and if you can do resistance training, you will find so many health benefits from that alone. Like women should all be lifting weights, not being like bodybuilder, but just a little bit of resistance training will make a fundamental difference to your daily life. We look at nutrition, got to see what works for you in terms of how you're eating. And that works in conjunction with the hormones, the exercise and everything else. They all have to sort of interconnect. Mm -hmm. And then it's again, looking at things like toxic load, looking at like, I look at trauma release with people as well, because most people have experienced trauma at some point in their life. And again, this is on a, on a scale for some people, it can be really, really high intense trauma, which I don't deal with the trauma itself, but we look at what strategies we can put in place because we hold on to things in our day-to-day living. And if you're not finding ways to release them every day and do that work, you store them. And when you store that level in your body, it's going to have, it's got to find a way out. It's like suppressing emotions. It will find a way out one way or another. It's like water. It always finds a way out. So it's finding a way to actually release it every day so that you don't sort of get to like that stacking of stress. Yep. We look at strategies like that. And then we look at self-care. You have to look at how much you love yourself. Because I did training. People are so uncomfortable even saying love myself. I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of those people too. Like this is not an easy thing to do. Like I'm working on it. Come and work on it with me. Like I'm not a perfect human just because I teach this. But I do think like years ago, I ran um, a health and wellness course and, you know, we went through six weeks together with the group and it was beautiful and wonderful. And I left the self-care to the last module. And one of the women on the course, she was amazing. She was doing so many things already. And she was just like, I'm already doing this. This is fantastic. And I'd be like, I just want to high five you. Well done. You. You're really nailing it. And when we got to the self-care week, she'd gone really quiet. And I said, like, are, are you doing okay? Like, has this been quite a hard session? And she said, you know, I've got the great diet. I've got the exercise. I've got the work-life balance. I've got all of these things. But when you asked me to think about the things that I liked about myself, I realized that I don't actually like myself that much. And I was like, Wow. And I think sometimes we forget, like we can do so many of like the tick box, I exercise, I eat well, I do all of these things. But if you look in the mirror and say horrible things to yourself every day, it cancels out so many of those groovy, sexy things that you've already done for your body. So inner love is also very, very important. Oh, absolutely. And again, I think, I think they're starting anyways here in the U.S. to teach some of the kids, some some sense of that like uh my granddaughter we, we she was on her scooter and my other granddaughter and I were walking and all of a sudden she just flew off her scooter on the trail and she sat down you know crossed her legs and and went, um and it was just she just cracked me up and I said what are you doing and she says 
I'm meditating. I just, I just needed that right now. And, you know, I just seemed free as a bird. She was having fun, but for whatever reason, and she did it one more time on the way home. And I was just like, so grateful that she even knew about that. To be oh, that's beautiful. And, and not think twice, not care what anyone thought about it. Just, I, I needed that, you know. <laughs> That's what it's all about, though. That's so beautiful. Because I know, like, we talk about meditation a lot and we throw it around. And I, I must admit, like, I meditate every day and I, I don't feel zen. I, I sometimes have too many thoughts and I'm just like, I don't feel like that worked. But it's about doing it every day and giving it a bash. And when we teach kids to do it, like, there's just such freedom in it. And they're just like, yeah, I sat still and it was great and I did a thing. And then when it comes to adults, they're like, did I do it right? Did I clear my head to be like, you did what you did. And it was beautiful. You had five minutes to yourself. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. When I was in real estate, I used to um, put a sign up on my door and every day I would take like 20 minutes and I'd put on my meditation music and I'd light a candle and I'd, you know, close the drapes and I'd lock my door and everybody in the office knew, leave me alone. And I just, it just rejuvenated me. I absolutely loved it. And I, I am not as good about it as I used to be. I think I meditate more now in bed before I get out and, and when I go to bed versus actually setting up a space to go. Yeah. But, you know, that works for me now. So I, yeah. I go with the flow. And I think that that's it. Like at different parts in your day, in your week, in your life different things are going to work for you. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Well, and I do think that taking time to connect, is that's that's the message. That's the whole thing. Take a minute to connect whichever way you want to do it. Yeah, well, and I think there's, you know, some people think it's taboo. Like I used to have, um, I used to have an altar in my house. I'd light my candles and I had a, a little burning bowl that I'd, I'd put, you know, things that I wanted in there and I would burn it and I'd give it over to God in the universe and my daughter was she would freak out about that because my my husband at the time just thought that that was you know not godlike and so she she was nervous about it and yet every night she would want to come in when i when i lit the candles because she could literally feel the buzz in the room there was it, the atmosphere just literally changed and she wouldn't say why but she always knew when i was doing that and she would kind of bounce in and then she got to the point of, can I light the candles? And and, and now she's, you know, in her mid-30s and, and she totally gets it and, and oh. so the, the peacefulness. But there was such fear in her yeah. about that. And I, it, that just made me sad. I'm like, Tom, why, did he, why would you do that? It's just prayer. You know, it's just a different type of prayer. There's many types of, of prayer and just sitting still and letting your body get calm. I don't think there's anything more beautiful than that. I mean, because you don't even realize how nuts you are. You know, you're yeah. how fast they're going until you feel that calmness. And then it's like, oh, this feels pretty good. You yeah. know, it energizes me again. And it, it costs you nothing. And it takes a little time. And it makes you feel good. Yeah. And I think we, we've forgotten to prioritize that. It's like, actually, no, it's important to feel good, whether it's for five minutes or five hours or five days. Like, just try. I'm sorry, kind of got us off with. with no, no, like that was that was like a beautiful tangent. I love it. I hope your daughter still lights candles and has her own altar in her own home. She's gotten much more uh, spiritually um, involved and um, 
and it's been nice. And same with the kids, you know, the grandkids and stuff. I have, uh, I have like a bowl of rocks and, you know, I put my hand over it and I can feel the different energies and stuff. I've learned different things over time. And, and they do that too. They also research the rocks and that's part of their homeschooling and, and um, safe with some of those, you know, and if, I don't care what it is, if you can give somebody that makes them feel calm and safe, go for it. Yeah. Because again, it changes our metabolism and, you know, all the chemistry in the body, you know, when we, when we get off that crazy plane of being stressed and, you know, overtired and, and uh, I just don't think people understand the impact all of that has. Yeah. Gosh. Well, you said you work with people around the world. That was one question I was going to ask you because I wasn't sure if you did or not. And so for like hormone testing and stuff like that, you've got companies all over that can. So I'm quite lucky that the company that I use here in the UK are now in Canada and the States as well. So we can start doing testing there. And for people that are not in Canada, the States or the UK, there are other options. We use Dutch Plus Testing is the uh, the company that we use. And they are luckily all over the world. And it's just, you'll get a lab report that looks scary, but don't worry, we can help you with that. So that that's the thing. It's just when, when I go through the company that I use, it's quite nice because they set up the reports in a different way and they give you a lovely protocol that goes with it with a nutritionist. But when you use the Dutch testing outside of that, it just has to go through a slightly different process. So it's also possible. It just takes a little bit of a different path. Sure. And you said it was more um, saliva in your yeah. versus the blood tests. So we- I think th- th- this is something that I really like. Thank you so much for asking that. It's such a brilliant question. And I think this is where, you know, when you're testing hormones, particularly in women, Mm-hmm. or female being female bodied beings whichever way you would like to call it because this also is across the board hormones fluctuate and your hormones are fluctuating from day one to day 30 or however long you want to look at your cycle and depending when you take a blood test you are getting a snapshot at that second at that moment that the blood has left your body and that's what they're testing but that gives you a split second of a moment in your body Whereas the saliva and the urine testing is over the course of a full day on a specific period of your cycle or what would be your cycle if you're going through perimenopause or menopause. And that still gives you enough of a link to see. And we've got tests that can actually plot your entire month to really see what your hormones are doing across the board. And a lot of the time they'll be like, oh, well, your estrogen is fine. And it's like, it's not just about your estrogen levels being in the right place or your progesterone. It's also looking at how they detox. Where is your stress? Because if you have a, what we call a waking cortisol, if your cortisol is on the floor when you wake up because you've been living under constant stress, which I think a lot of people have, mm-hmm. most of the tests that I've seen, everybody's is on the floor and they're like, oh, my stress level is so low. And I was like, no, no, it looks low. You killed it. No. <laughs> But it's like a hamster on a wheel. It's been running for too long and it's pooped. (laughs) So it's not a good thing that it's low. You kind of like you need that surge in the morning. If you're not waking up in the morning feeling quite peppy, your cortisol is probably quite low and you want it to give you that pep. Like you need cortisol. It has purpose. But when it's overstimulated, it doesn't do good things. And when, you know, when we have perimenopause and menopause, our adrenal glands take over producing quite a lot of our hormones 
And if that hamster on the wheel has already gone a little bit too hard and too fast to then take on more production, it's like going into an office and just putting more and more work on a worker and the overwhelm is going to happen quite quickly. Oh, interesting. Because I think we, you know, we hear the word cortisol and we just think it's a, it's a dirty word, you know, want it out of our life. It's not a good thing. And, um, you know, so just the way you explain things to people, I think is so helpful in and of itself. I just really appreciate all you do. Is there anything that we haven't covered that we need to talk about? Probably a million things. Like I have so much knowledge that I just want to give you. <laughs> but it's just been like, it's it's really just to let people know that there is so much that you can do in your day-to-day living to prevent this disease. Mm-hmm. And even if you can just do three things, even if you can just do one thing, please prioritize sleep. And probably because this is quite personal for me, seeing how my mom is at the moment, sleep is the most important thing that you can do for your body. It needs to recover. So give it adequate time. Seven hours is the minimum, nine hours tops. Don't don't go past that. Because I know sometimes when we've uh, pushed our body super hard during the week where you've been going, 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 and then you sleep your whole Saturday and a lethargic as hell on Sunday, ready to go again. Trying to crack 10 hours of sleep is probably also doing just a little bit of damage. It's finding that sweet spot in the middle. Well, that's good advice for me because I go, go, go. And then sometimes I will crash on the weekend. <laughs> no, Laurie. <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm kind of a night owl too. So I, you know, I can be up till two or three in the morning. And then, you know, I got to get up in the morning as okay. well and do stuff but I love what I do but I know that that's not healthy all the time yeah. and trying to trying to do better trying to get a good circadian rhythm going like really and truly having a, a strict bedtime and a strict wake up and keeping them consistent even on the weekends is quite important and we're not perfect with it and I think especially if there are people out there listening to this that have children I'm sorry please please don't judge me <laughs> and I know that when you have children sleep is a luxury and uh, you take it when you can get it but it's just to try and make sure that you're giving your, your brain enough rest. Because if you think for yourself, like we've all stayed up over 24 hours and it makes you a little bit loopy. I don't know about you, but I get the giggles and then I'll be really, really sad and I'll go back to getting the giggles and I have no control over my emotions whatsoever. Like that 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 flip switch is gone. Well, and I think with um, like with new moms and stuff, you don't feel like you can give yourself permission because you've got this, this little thing, you know, that's, that you're supposed to be taking care of. And uh, you know, I know even like my, my daughter, you know, her baby just turned one, but everything kind of rotated and was all about sailor's schedule. And it's yeah. like, you gotta get sailor on your schedule a little bit too, you know, with that. Yeah. And she, you know, and she at least, took some naps when the baby took naps because I know that's something moms fight too because yeah. everything everything still has to get done and yeah has to get done or has to get done at this perfect level um you know yeah. what does it really matter in the big picture and I, I know as I've aged I accept that much more so don't expect perfection from me anymore <laughs> you know I'll do the best I can with what I have in the moment and and perfect. I'll, always show up with a hundred percent of what I have to give. 
And what you have to give every day is different. Some days you're going to 100% nail it and other days it's going to be awful and just roll with it because it, you did your best with yep. what you had. Yep. That's all anybody can ask for. Yeah, you got another day to do something. You know? So, <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being with us. Why don't you tell people how they can contact you? If you have a website, email. Yeah, you- absolutely. Laurie, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute delight. And if you are looking to contact me, best places are LinkedIn. You can find me there as Donna DeVillier's Dementia Prevention Consultant. And I have a website, vivira.uk. And my Instagram handle is uh, at Vivira Brain Health. And just come and chat with me. I'm uh, I, I'm the one that actually replies to you. Like I don't have a bot or a, a VA. Just uh, drop me a message. Let's get chatting. And we can go from there. And for anybody that comes through here, I'll offer you a free consultation. So just let me know that you come through the podcast. Just say Lori's podcast and uh, we can go from there. Oh, sweet. Well, thank you. This is, I, I've learned a lot and I always have such a, a fun time talking with you. I just, um, like I said, you are just a breath of fresh air and you are, you just, you, you have this um, aura about you that is just so comfortable. You know, and I think that that's one of the one of the tough things to find someone that's easy to talk to. And it's really apparent that you listen to your clients and that you really care. And and that isn't always the case. (laughs) As many many tell me out there, you know, when they're looking for someone to help. So um, kudos to you. I um, I look forward to connecting with you in the future and seeing what happens um, as you progress with things. So I thank you very much. Yeah. And it's the same for me, Laurie, like I love what you're doing. And I think the message that you've got out there is amazing. And even people in Scotland, I point them towards all the, your, uh, your website, your podcasts and all of your resources. And please just keep doing what you're doing because we all need you as well. So yeah. thank you so much for having me. Well, we're better together. Absolutely. Community all the way. For our listeners, I always ask you to be a giver of hope, like, click, and share, not because, you know, we're tracking the numbers, but because we really care. We want people to get this information, and you all have a sphere of influence. It's not going to cost you any money. It's going to take you a very little time to like, click, and share because there are people in your community that need this information, and they don't know where to go. And sometimes people don't even know they need it because they don't know it's available to begin with and so that's a huge door opener there so don't be afraid to have these conversations and uh, pass information along thanks everybody we'll see you next time bye-bye hi everyone this is meredith from the senior fitness with meredith podcast where i discuss all things for seniors from fitness your health and wellness journeys how to be all over strong and beyond I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.